this week on Missions Today. This man says, who is this Jesus? And Colin, I, I remember this like it was yesterday. I, I, I'm looking around for the pastor that was on that trip, right? Because I'm just an ordinary guy. I can't stand on a rock and preach. So I'm looking around, I'm saying, hey, hey, where's the pastor? Get the pastor over here. We gotta tell this guy about Jesus. And the pastor wasn't anywhere to be found. So I decided I'm just gonna share my testimony about this car crash that I was in with my daughter to this man, how Jesus rescued me from that situation and he took control of my life. What an incredible story our guest this week has to share. Hi, I'm Colin Lambert, and this is Missions Today from Resource Global. Christopher Beth never had an intention of going into ministry. Business was his background and his training. That all began to change after a major car wreck with he and his daughter. Later, when his daughter decided to go on a mission trip to the Amazon and he felt the need to go along for protection, that trip really is what began to change the direction and purpose of his life. Christopher now runs an international ministry led by business people that seeks to provide clean water, the gospel, and even discipleship with indigenous people. The Bucket Ministry, this week on Missions Today. Christopher, take a minute, tell us a bit about The Bucket Ministry. Yeah, so we are a global organization that we use clean water as a tool to reach some of the sub 785 million people around the world that don't have access to clean water and that really are far from God. So we use a very simple water filter like this one here that attaches to a bucket or receptacle that provides over 20 years worth of clean, safe drinking water to the average family. And at the same time is a wonderful illustration for the gospel of Jesus Christ, because we use the dirty water as an illustration for the sin in our lives and the filter as an illustration for what Jesus has done on the cross for us. I love that. And we're going to get back into some of the specifics about where you are and how it's grown over the years. But let's start back at the beginning of this story. I kind of alluded to it, but I understand it all kind of started on a mission trip with your daughter. Tell us about that. Yeah. So one of my favorite stories to tell, I I do not come from a ministry or a church background. In fact, I got saved at the age of 40 after I was in a car crash with my daughter. So four years after that date, she came home from high school and she announced to my wife and I that she wanted to go on a mission trip to the Amazon Basin. And I mean, um, as parents, uh, that's kind of a scary proposition. So she'd been to like South Texas on mission before, but <laughs> Brazil, I mean, come on, uh, that's a long ways away. And so my wife and I quickly decided that if she was going to go, one of us was going to have to accompany her. So that became my, my job. And so we flew with a team into Manaus, Brazil. We boarded an open air river boat in, in Manaus. And that boat went 18 hours into the Amazon basin to the darkest places that I think uh, I could ever even imagine. Colin, they look like, it, it looked like National Geographic came alive and uh, birds, snakes, giant fish, all of this. But 
going along with it is the uncomfortableness for me of being stretched because I just went on this trip to make sure my kid came home. My, my sole instruction from my wife is make sure you bring her home. So we go into the Amazon basin on this boat and uh, we're with 12 other people and they're talking about being the hands and feet and of Jesus. And it was, it was terrifying and wonderful all at the same time, because I, I had no experience with that. I had no previous mission trip experience. And I certainly had not been around that many believers that um, had experience with that sort of trip. So on the, uh, on the third day of the trip, the mission leader, her name was Phyllis. She assigns me to go door to door in the village and do what she called these faith visits. And at that time, my job was to knock on the door, introduce myself, talk about what our team is going to be doing in their village that day, and then to pray over them. <laughs> I'm just going to be honest. I was so uncomfortable that uh, if if the team was praying on this side of the house, I was on this side of the house and I was praying, but I was praying nobody would talk to me. <laughs> and I was just so stretched and um, I did not know how to respond. So on that third day, I was tasked to go across the river to visit a small home. And we took a small boat across uh, across this river in the Amazon and uh, met this wonderful Brazilian couple, invited us into their home. This little Brazilian woman looks at me and she sees that I'm this giant, sweaty American. And she asked me if I was thirsty through my interpreter. And I, I look at her and I'm like, yeah, I'm thirsty. Because I got to be honest, uh, at this point, I had no idea that people had to drink out of a river. I mean, I've lived a privileged life like most of us have. And if I was thirsty, I just went and bought a bottle of water or went to my refrigerator and, and got a bottle from the filter. So I had no idea that the world water crisis even existed. So what this nice woman did is uh, she went in her kitchen and she got two cups. They were mismatched and they were cracked. And she walked outside into this little dock area because her house was semi-flooded. And uh, on the edge of the dock, she bends down and she scoops two glasses of water out of the river for me. And Colin, I remember standing in the doorway thinking to myself, what is this woman doing? Where is the where is her refrigerator with bottles of bottled water or where is the water dispenser on the stand? And um, it, it clearly didn't exist. So what she did is she turned around. She came in the house, handed one cup to me with uh, river water in it and one cup to my interpreter. And I remember there was this there was this awkward moment where I didn't know what am I supposed to do with this? Because on one hand, I said how thirsty I was. I made a big deal of it. Now I kind of have to drink it or she's going to think that I'm rude. And on the other hand, if I drink it, I'm going to spend the rest of the trip in the bathroom. I mean, I could literally see things swimming in the water as I'm holding it. And so I look over at my interpreter and we're... 
I really didn't know what to do. And my interpreter is wagging his finger like this saying, don't do that. So now I start to feel a little bit of the gravity of this situation. This is when for the first time it dawns on me that this is all these people have to drink and that this is normal for them. Now, the next part, the next thing that happened is really what I think probably changed my life more than anything is I'm sitting here holding this glass of dirty river water, pondering what to do. I realize I can't drink it, but the next thing that happened is I heard something, Colin, and I heard something that I'd never heard before. And I'll, I'll be honest and a little transparent. In the past, prior to this day, when I heard people saying, well, I got this word from the Lord, or God told me this, or I received this direction from God, my reaction was always, really? Is that really what you heard? And, and do you think he would have uh, talked to you like that? I was skeptical, right? And because at this point, I was only saved for about four years, and I wasn't even discipled yet. So I didn't even fully understand my own relationship with Christ yet. So as I was holding this cup of water in 2012 in the Amazon that's dirty, I heard two words clearly, and I heard help them. Now, I'm going to be honest. Those two words came with no instruction. Those two words came without a Cliff Notes guide of what does help them mean. So I didn't know if I'm supposed to open my wallet, give them 20, 30, 40 bucks. Am I supposed to hug them? Am I supposed to cook them dinner? What does help them mean? I had no idea. So I left there that day and uh, we made our way home. But as I'm traveling home on the plane, I have this burden of what does this mean? What does this help them mean? So I got home and started researching the problem and the problem being clean water scarcity in the Amazon. And I found out that there's 785 million people around the world that lack access to something I've taken for granted for most of my life. And that is clean, safe drinking water. And I also found out that every day, 700 children around the world perish from drinking unclean water. So that's where I started to realize maybe what help them meant. So after, after that trip, I had this new burden on my heart of trying to bring clean water to people. And then fast forwarding this story, it wasn't until the next year until I went back to the Amazon with some filters made by a company called Sawyer Products out of Tampa, Florida. These wonderful filters that I, they, that I found at a camping store in Dallas. It wasn't until that next year that I fully realized what this filter was. And so on that next trip, we go back and I found these filters and I thought, oh, these are going to be fantastic for people's health. And I set up this presentation and quickly in that presentation, I realized that this was a tool to be able to reach people in the name of Jesus with his good news. Because uh, after that presentation was over, I had a Brazilian man walk up to me and he said, this is fantastic. Thank you. And he said, can you tell me how you made your way to our village today? 
And I wasn't prepared to answer that question. So I just made a joke and I said, well, the boat and the captain, that's how I got here. He's like, no, no, no. Of all the villages you could have come to, how did you come to ours? And I thought about it for a minute and I said, well, I'm a follower of Jesus and uh, we felt called to bring you this gift. And the next thing he said changed everything for us as an organization. And we weren't even an organization at that point. Um, he, he, This man says, who is this Jesus? And Colin, I, I remember this like it was yesterday. I, I, I'm looking around for the pastor that was on that trip, right? Because I'm just an ordinary guy. I can't stand on a rock and preach. So I'm looking around. I'm saying, hey, hey where's the pastor? Get the pastor over here. We got to tell this guy about Jesus. And the pastor wasn't anywhere to be found. So I decided I'm just going to share my testimony about this car crash that I was in with my daughter to this man, how Jesus rescued me from that situation and he took control of my life. And so I told the story of that day to this man and he stands there for a minute and you could see him considering this. And honestly, I thought he might have thought I was crazy at first. And he said, well, how can I have that? I want that. And then everybody else behind him says, yeah, we want that too. So that's where we uh, discovered that this filter, while it will save lives physically, will address this major physical need that people have, and that is clean water. But at the same time, this filter opens a door that allows us to earn the right to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with each and every person that receives it, and at the same time to start to disciple them and point them to like-minded local churches. So that's kind of kind of the foundation story of God using a ordinary guy, just an ordinary business guy, to do something extraordinary. And uh, about five years into this, uh, I worked both full-time and uh, full-time secular business consulting job and then full-time ministry. And then literally about six years ago, I was blessed to be able to start doing this full-time and uh, gave up my secular job. And now I get to hand out clean water and tell people about Jesus all day long. So, Wow. Wow. What an incredible story uh, just to hear the whole process of God taking you through, I mean, even starting with the car crash and the change in your life there, but then uh, to hear what happened on this mission trip and how he appointed uh, that meeting in that village at that time to connect with that man who would ask you that question that would create a change in your mind and your heart. You said at that point, there really wasn't an organization. Talk a little bit about forming the organization and how it's grown in the last several years. Yeah. So um, our organization looks and feels maybe a little different than the average ministry. It's really been founded and most of the people on our team, except for one, are business people and business people that love Jesus. So we talk about things in business senses with budgets and accountability and transparency and much more differently than I think you see the average 
ministry do just because we have a different background. And so the organization was founded in 2012, and we now have worked in the last 12 or 13 years in about 22 countries. We're actively working in 13 countries right now with a majority of our work, probably 75% of our work happening in Africa. And the process has been interesting, Colin, because there's just not a pool of information on how to start a nonprofit and how to start doing this work. So most of it has been through trial and error. Because using a water filter to minister to people in a deep, impactful way and to start discipling them is not anything that has been done at this scale in the past. So many of the processes we had to learn, and we had to learn through trial and error, and we had to let the Lord speak these things into existence. And probably one of the biggest parts of this that's exciting is every single filter has a barcode on the filter that we scan at the point of distribution. And then when when our indigenous teams go back to do follow-up visitations, they also scan that barcode and they collect data. So every single day we get reporting on the field work that happened yesterday with latitude, longitude, time, and what the interaction that happened in the field was. So again, um, a lot of this type of reporting and accountability feels a little bit more like a business because that's really the, the, the DNA that the Lord gave us before he called us to ministry. And we love to be able to share that with donors and recipients at the same time. I love that. You've mentioned a couple of times discipling. Just wanted to get a little bit more information from you on how that process works. There are so many ministries that go in and are focused on the salvation part. There are other ministries that go in and focus on the discipleship part. There's church planters. Mm. What do you all do, if anything, to try to activate beyond the salvation experience to discipleship? That's a great question. And I'm so happy you asked that because we, we believe that giving this thing out this water filter out isn't enough. We believe that giving the water filter out and preaching the gospel is not enough. We believe that we're getting close to enough. When we give the filter out, we preach the gospel, and then we start to teach patterns of discipleship in the process of follow-up visitations in people's homes. Now, we don't build physical churches. We don't grab a hammer and start putting churches together, but we plant churches around the world that at some point will become a physical, tangible church, but might start out meeting underneath a mango tree. So we do three follow-up visitations at the point uh, right after somebody receives their filter. And in these follow-ups, if there are people that are saved or they come to faith, we start to teach basic discipleship lessons that allow them to learn about God's word and how to apply it to their own lives. We call this patterns of discipleship. And then we, in this process, point them to a local like-minded church if there is a church in that area. And if not, we will start a Bible study underneath the mango tree that uh, will at some point become a fully fledged church. So we we don't hang around for, you know, 10, 15 visits 
So we believe that the church is God's plan A. The local church is his plan A. And we want to come alongside the church because we consider ourselves a parachurch organization. We want to come alongside that local church and help them, help them grow, help them build and deliver his word to his people. That's great. I love to hear that. And I think most people who are supporting ministries love to hear that there's a plan beyond just dropping off the water filter, beyond just a a message about salvation. And you obviously have thought through this well and so grateful for that. Before we run out of time, I did want to mention I have a number of friends who live in Nairobi, Kenya, and I see you're doing work in the Kibera slums. Tell us about what you're doing in Kibera. Man, I wish I would. I wish we would have led with this, Colin, because it's one of my favorite topics. The Kibera slum is three square miles in the middle of Nairobi, Kenya. 408,000 people that are living in abject poverty, and we are delivering a water filter to every home within Kibera. It is uh, about 95,000 homes, and we are 75% complete with delivering a water filter, preaching the gospel, and discipling those people. So we're scheduled to be done with this work which is a $5 million campaign. Praise God. We're scheduled to be done with this work um, this December, and then we'll be moving 15 minutes away, moving that whole team 15 minutes away to the Kawangwari slum and starting work in Kawangwari. So Kibera has taught us a lot. It's also taught us a lot about working in inner cities and working with different people groups all at the same time. I know some people may be listening today, watching today, and they see this water filter and they wonder, you know, what does it cost to to help a family, to help a village with these filters? I know that uh, that's something that you'd probably want to let people know about. Absolutely. So these filters cost about $50 per family and they will last over 20 years. So for less than you can take your family to Applebee's, you can provide 20 years worth of clean, safe drinking water. But more importantly, you can provide the gospel and you can provide discipleship lessons in that $50. So in every country, it's a little bit different. But in Kenya specifically, it costs us about $50 to provide that. And we work through exclusively indigenous missionaries and pastors. So all of our teams are indigenous people. In fact, in the Kibera slum, Colin, since you know that place, 98% of our team lives in Kibera and 100% of our team are Kenyans. Praise God. That's awesome. It's incredible to hear what's happened from this uh, trip with your daughter. And obviously God is in the midst of it and people's lives are being changed Uh, in the moments we have left here. Can you tell us how best we can pray for you and your team those in the field, we really have a great network of prayer warriors here with missions today, and we would love to uh, add you to our prayer list. Absolutely. I would say I always ask for the Luke 10-2 prayer. Uh, the, the, the Lord says that the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And I consistently ask for prayers that he will send us more laborers, more laborers in the U.S. that can be storytellers and talk about what's happening, that can make introductions, and then more laborers in these mission fields where we are working that want to take a water filter to their neighbors and minister to their neighbors. And then lastly, you can see opportunities through thebucketministry.org for more details. 
Unlike some of our recent podcast guests, Christopher didn't know Jesus early in life, and he had no plans to do anything like ministry. But as you can also see, God has clearly directed his path and is using the ups and downs of his life to help people in tough places where they are all over the globe. This is another story of what God can do with an ordinary person committed to following the Lord's calling and direction. My prayer for you today is that wherever you are and whatever the Lord has you doing, that you will continue to seek and follow Him. Give Him your yes. Just like this businessman did, if you continue to give Him your yes, follow Him in obedience, He will take you amazing places. If you want to learn more about Christopher or The Bucket Ministry, be sure to check out the links in today's podcast notes. Well, speaking of podcasts, this podcast, Missions Today, is developed and produced by me and my friends at Resource Global to spotlight the leaders and trends shaping the global church and global missions today. If you would like great information and support materials for integrating faith and work, you can learn more by going to resourceglobal.org and asking for their monthly newsletter. That'll keep you updated, give you some insights into integrating faith and work. Well, that's all the time we have for this week. Next week, we're going to hear from a man whose mission right now is to reach out to the growing number of nuns. No, not nuns like the Catholic Church. Nuns, those who say they have no affiliation with any specific religion. And he's doing some amazing things there. I encourage you to tune in for that next week. Well, it is so helpful if you'll subscribe to this podcast. We need you to subscribe. It helps us get the word out about it. As you do that, as you leave a review on iTunes, as you rate the program, all of those things help us spread the good news of missions today and this podcast. You can email me with your comments or concerns or questions. See Lambert at missionstoday.com. Until next week, this is Missions Today, a production of Resource Global.